Romans chapter 9. Our brother Henry Mahan wrote these words in regarding to these opening verses of Romans chapter 9. He said, the Jews looked for a Messiah. You can read that in John chapter 4, uh, John chapter 40 through 42. The Jews looked for a Messiah, but they expected the Messiah to restore the nation of Israel to world prominence. Remember, there was a time when Israel was more powerful than anybody around. God had fought for Israel for years and conquered many nations. Now Israel was under the rule of Rome and being squashed by the power of Rome. They expected the Messiah to come and release them from that uh, dominion of Rome and return them to the prominence of the world, to restore the great kingdom of David, as it were, and to confer upon Israel great favor with God. They had felt God had left them and was no longer favorable of them. If any Gentile participated in this glorious kingdom, it would be by the becoming of a Jew. You'd have to convert to Jewism. It is obvious that they did not understand the sacrifices and the types, for they did not see the Messiah coming first as a lamb, as a sin offering, and a savior. They read the Old Testament scriptures that referred to his triumphant and glorious second coming, the eternal kingdom of righteousness, and they applied it, they applied those writings to his first coming and to their nation alone. But Christ came as it was written, the Lamb of God, the righteousness of God, the atonement, and the sacrifice for sin, for Jew and for Gentile. You can read that in Romans 10 and also Ephesians 2. How did the Jews respond? With very few exceptions, they rejected him and his message. You can read that in John and Acts, John 1 and Acts 13. As a result of their greatest sin, the rejection of Christ, they have been blinded and the gospel preached to the Gentile nations. That's what we read in Romans 11, verses 7 through 10. We'll read that, we'll look into that a little deeper when we get to that point. The Gentiles, in great number, believed the gospel and were saved. The Jews, for the most part, abide still in unbelief. And this is what, the, and this is, what is on Paul's mind as he writes the following words. We, are you with me in Romans chapter 9? Look at verses 1 through 3. I say the truth of Christ. Now remember, this is on Paul's mind. He's, he's on, he, he knows that the Jews have left the gospel. They are more interested now in their ceremonialism, their works of themselves, their, their own self-righteousness, than they are of the righteousness of God. And, they, and God has sent men now out into the Gentile nations. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience. And as those children of God, we know that God sees our consciousness. He sees upon our hearts. So when Paul is talking about these words, when he says these words, he knows that God is looking upon his heart. He can tell you in truth. I'm lying not. I truly feel this way. This is the way I, I'm burdened with this thought. I lie not my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He, he loved his brethren of the flesh so much, so much so, 
That in his own thoughts it was, Lord, take me and put me back where I was if that's what it would take to give you this one that I love. I understand that. I got two children who don't want anything to do with God just as much, just as I did. I know. They want nothing to do with God. I was thinking about this this morning. This may seem harsh. When I came to the Lord, folks, I was not in a good way. I was a grown man crying in a pain that I have never felt before, in a pain that was so deep that it rocked my soul. One of my children is, is uh, in my opinion, on her way to a great sorrowful moment. I pray. And, that's, and this is what I mean by this. I, I, I pray that this that she is going through will bring her to her knees in tears and cry out, God help me. Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it for our child to go through such pain? Yes, it would be. If the end result would be to be with the Lord, absolutely. It's hard to see, but I would give anything for her, and that includes my salvation. I would give anything for that dear lady there. That's what Paul is crying out here. He's crying out, Lord, I love these people so much with everything I have. We're praying for our lost loved ones, our loved ones who still walk in darkness. God, if it be your will, break them. Break their hearts. Because only God can do that, folks. Only he can break our hearts to drive us to look into him. Paul says, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, maybe kinsmen, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now I want you to consider with me, if you would, three things in these verses. What a solemn vow Paul is saying here. He says, I speak the truth as a Christian, as one who believes God. He says, I do not lie. And he declares the Holy Witness, the Holy Spirit to be his witness. God, you know I love you. You know I love you because you look upon my heart. What I'm about to say to what I'm about to say in my prayer to you, Lord, you know it be from my heart. Because you are the Almighty, the all knowing, the all witnessing. Paul's vow is sincere because it's a it's a vow according to God's will. According to who he is. Secondly, we see the sincere affection for the people. Paul was happy in Christ, but when he thought of his Jewish brethren in the blindness that they were in, in the unbelief that they walked in, it caused him a great sorrow. Listen to these words of Romans chapter 10.1. We'll look at this again in a deeper uh, way when we get there. Brethren, he says, my heart's desire... This is Paul crying out again to his brethren, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to you, my brethren, is this, that you might be saved. It's that they might be saved, my own brothers and sisters, my own children, my own mother, my own sister, my own brother. And thirdly, we see a startling statement. If Paul being separated from Christ could secure anything, if it could secure their salvation, he expresses his willingness 
Moses almost said the very same thing. Would you turn, hold your place here and turn over to Exodus chapter 32. I want you to see where Moses did. Moses almost said the exact same thing here. Exodus chapter 32. Lord, if it be, if it would be possible. Lord, if it would be possible, save my family. Let me be accursed. You realize that that's what our Savior prayed for us. Let me be accursed for them that they might be saved. Over in Exodus chapter 32, we see in verse 31, And Moses returned unto the Lord, and he said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. That's almost the exact same thing we see Paul's writing here about in, in uh, Romans chapter 9. Lord, save my brethren. Help me, Father. Look back in our text again, this time at verse 4 of Romans chapter 9. It says, Who are Israelites, speaking of his brethren, those that are just like me, those who are at one time, God, were blessed of you. Those who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenant. All those promises that you made the people of Israel. The sons of Jacob. And thy giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Paul is identifying the people of whom he speaks. He says, my kinsmen, the very descendants of Abraham. You see, folks, the adoption was theirs. Not spiritual adoption, which makes men joint heirs with Christ, but they were God's chosen nation. He chose them out of all the world. He separated them from all of the idolatry that was going on in the world. Remember when Noah was on the earth? Remember that? How many souls were not following idolatry at that time? Eight. Eight souls did not bend the now. Eight souls did not bend the knee to, to Baal. And God saved them in the ark, a picture of His Son, the Lord Jesus. Israel was a picture of the spiritual people of God. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 6-8, through we read these words, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. He's speaking of Israel. He's speaking of the, the people of God, the people that were chosen out of the world. For you are an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto Himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you. Notice that the writer, the prophet, very clearly describes election. He did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because you would keep he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. Hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The glory of God was theirs. They had the oracles. They had the temple. They had all the pictures that pointed to the coming Messiah, the Christ. 1 Samuel 4, verse 22, And she said, The glory departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Christ was taken away. 
the people of Israel no, no longer saw God. Instead, they began to see their own righteousness. Each generation, it got worse. Each generation, it waxed worse until finally the candlestick God had removed from the people. This glory was the presence of God in their midst, the tabernacle, the ark, the cloud, etc. The covenants of Abraham and David were theirs. The law, the giving of the law was theirs. The law was given to Israel at Sinai. The service of God was theirs. This is the service of the tabernacle, acceptable an acceptable way of worship. Listen to Hebrews. You know, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. One of the gifts that God gave the people of Israel. In Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary, and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod and that budded and the tables of, of the covenant. All these things they had, all these oracles of God, pointing them to Christ, and all they could see was their own works. God had not enlightened all the people of Israel. And over the cherubims of glory, verse 5, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone. Again, the picture of our Savior, our high priest, he went in alone once a year, not without blood, that which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way in the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle well, the first tabernacle was yet standing. And then we get this. The Lord tells the writer of the Hebrew to the Hebrews very clearly, which was a figure. All of those things was a figure for the time then present, in which were the offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make man make him that did the service perfect and pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come verse 11 by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building the people of Israel they had all their promises all the promises of God were theirs if not all of Israel at that time saw that as well. If I could do this, I'll be loved of God. No, there were many at that time, even though it was a remnant compared to the whole group of people, there were many who still knew that they could not do those things and sought a better promise. The promise of the seed, Christ. Christ is the seed of promise. Look at verse 5 back in our text, Romans chapter 9. Speaking again of those who had the oracles of God promised to them, all that was promised to them, yet they could not, says, whose, whose are the fathers? 
and of whom is concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Now from this nation came the fathers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and all the others that we read about in Hebrews chapter 1. But an even higher honor of the Jewish nation was that concerning of his flesh, the flesh of Christ, the, the coming of God manifest in the flesh. Christ came from their camp. He is a direct descendant of David. You can read about that over in Matthew chapter 1. It says, For who, who is over all, God blessed forever. That's what we just read in, in Romans 9.5. This is one of the most distinct statements of our Lord's deity there is in all the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is over all, He's over everything. He is our sovereign. He rules everything by the power of His will and for His good pleasure. That includes the salvation of men. That includes my salvation. He ruled over that from beginning to end. I was saved when He thought of me and before the world began. I was saved when He came to this earth as a man in the flesh and laid down his life for me and died in my stead. I was saved then. I was saved this morning when I woke up opened up my eyes. Amen. I'll be saved tomorrow morning when I wake up again. Amen. Whether it be here or whether it be with my Lord in heaven. Folks, we're saved to the uttermost. By our Lord and Savior. He is, he is over all and he is blessed forever. In John 10.30, our Lord says, I and my Father are one. In Hebrews 1, verse 8, we read this, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, now this is God the Father speaking, God the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is a scepter of Thy kingdom. Verse 6 of our text, we read this, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, is what Paul is telling us. That's what I mentioned a moment ago. All those folks that God blessed throughout all that time, throughout all the days of David and, and Joseph and, and Moses, all of those days when there was Israel, not all of them trusted in their own righteousness. There were some who believed God. There were some who believed that those ordinances pointed to Christ the Messiah. Not all Israel. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. The unbelief of Israel... And their rejection of God does not mean that, he, that his divine purpose has failed, nor that the promises of God were not effectual. For it is not only the natural descendants of Abraham who make up the true Israel of God, but those who believe in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. Look back at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. What do we read in verse 29 and 30? Romans chapter 3 and verse 29, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Our God is the God over everything. He's God over all. And God has blessed him forever. His promises do not fail. Look over at Roman, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. 
Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now, Abraham was before circumcision ever started. He came to God before circumcision was ever started. Circumcision didn't start till Isaac was born. The promised child. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness in upon the circumcision only, upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith is reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. For he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet be, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Do you see spiritual Israel? Spiritual Israel are those who are circumcised of the heart, those who have had that old stony heart that says, I will not have this man to rule over me. Removed. I once said, fixed. God didn't fix anything. He cut that old stony heart right out, just like circumcision is cutting the stone of a man. He cut it, removed it, displayed, dis discarded it, and gave us a new heart of flesh. Verse 12, And the Father of circumcision to them that who are not of circumcision only, but also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. What did Abraham, what was his faith? His faith was, I believe God. He believed God is why he could take Isaac up to the top of that mountain to sacrifice him. He said God promised him and he believed God's promise. In the steps of faith, of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. The promise of redemption was to Abraham and to his seed, the seed who is Christ. Listen to these words of Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. That's not my opinion, is it? That's God's word. That's in Galatians 3.16. There are many Jews who are not Israel and many Gentiles who are of Israel. That's what we read in Philippians 3.3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Back in our text in verse 7 of Romans chapter 9 we read these words, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children? But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. We have an illustration in this case of Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was not of Israel, though he was a direct descendant of Abraham. Did you know that Ishmael is the birth of Islam? Ishmael, Islam. Ishmael was the birth of the religion Islam. He was not of Israel, though he was a direct descendant of Abraham. And the error of the Jews was that they thought they were children of God by being the children of Abraham. 
This natural sonship that they spoke of was only a figure of spiritual sonship of all of God's believers of all nations. Back in our text, we read in verse 8, that this, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Our title for today is the children of promise. Are we the children of promise? The sum of this is all this, that men, and, that men are not the children of God because they are children of Abraham, nor because they are the children of believers, nor because they are descendants of any flesh at all, but they are children of God, who are children of the covenant of grace in Christ Jesus, who are born again. Turn over to John chapter 1. Let's read verses 11 through 13. John chapter 1. We read in verse 11. He came, not unto, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's Israel. That's the Israel of the world. That's the religions of the world. That's the religions of works. That's the religions of self-righteousness. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, that remnant, those elect, chosen of God before the world was, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of the blood, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Folks, the true people of Israel are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with the heart, the new heart given to them, the, the gift of faith that God has given them. God has a people, He calls us a holy nation, for we were chosen in His Son, who is holy, holy, holy. We were chosen in Christ. To these people, to you and I, He has given His presence, His blessings, and His inheritance forever. That's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9-10. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that our witness? Isn't that our witness to the world around us? That we were called out of the darkness we once walked into, into his marvelous light. Which in times past were not a people, it speaks of us, but we're now a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy National Israel is a type of this holy nation. The people who make up this holy Israel are not so because they are people from whom God created, or because their name was named written, or because they named the name of God was as their father, nor was it because they go about in a form of worship. But they are the sons of God who are chosen of God and are children of true faith. Ishmael and Isaac illustrate this very fact. Both were sons of Abraham by natural descent, but only one was chosen of God. God has a chosen people out of every nation, every kindred, every tongue. Aren't you thankful that he's called some folks here out of rescue Amen. to hear and believe him?